0: Welcome back to the Data-Driven Real Estate Podcast, the podcast for real estate professionals dedicated to driving business using data. I'm Aaron Norris, along with Sean O'Toole with Property Radar, and this is episode 39. This week, we have Jeff Tembrello. He is the broker owner of Steelbridge Realty, LLC. He's a data-driven real estate expert out of the Southwest Florida market and even runs the local Southwest Florida Real Estate Investors Association. He's been through everything from massive hurricanes to a huge foreclosure crisis and somehow has landed on the data-driven world of land, you will not want to miss this week. Welcome back to the Data Driven Real Estate Podcast. We are really excited today to have uh, Jeff Trumbrella with the Steelbridge Realty LLC. And he's been a longtime real estate investor out of Southwest Florida who survived hurricanes, a foreclosure crisis. We're going to get into a lot of different things today. So, Jeff, well, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, it's the Southwest Florida of Real Estate Investment Association. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to herd 10,000 real estate agents around? <laughs>
0: You know what, that is actually a really great place to start. I would like to say that I know you're a data-driven, you, you really like data. And I've found Florida to be a very difficult place to collect data specifically in the real estate, uh, the realtor space, because somehow the state and the, and the different MLSs just haven't worked together over the year. And it's over the years and it's been really difficult to get long-term trends. Is that, am I seeing that correctly?
1: Far now, uh, I sat on a stats committee that was fun. And uh, of the Board of Realtors, it's the only committee I've ever sat on, you know, because I just don't, I just, I'm not inspired by, let me go volunteer at a trade organization, if that makes any sense. But the, uh, it was a good, it was a good committee. There's some smart people on it. And FAR has started, the Ford Association of Realtors now can kind of conglomerate, or can conglomerate, can I can't even say it. Conglomerate. Yeah, <laughs> everything together. And they're coming up with their own numbers. And while I can't validate their numbers for the whole state, my database for Lee County is pretty amazing. I have a really nice spreadsheet I built. I dump from Excel from the MLS into that. And that's how I generate my reports and views and everything. And I mean, there's some minor, very, very minor differences, but I may have an error. They ha- there's always going to be some kind of, nobody's ever going to be perfect on it. It may be them, maybe me. It's probably both. But the. Oh yeah and what is a sale
2: right like sometimes yeah. just even that stuff and you know the MLS is typically only have the listed sales, not the public records sales so yeah, there's a lot of differences
1: yeah the well far they're putting out some statewide numbers that are pretty good, but for the most part it's county by county so yeah it irony public records here is pretty amazing to get at uh, it's a very easy place to get data, but it's it, you know, the hard part is actually doing something with the data.
0: Making a talk. making it actionable.
2: Yeah, <laughs> for
0: sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about the niche. Let's uh, go forward to what you're doing today and maybe figure out how you even landed in Florida and how it's changed.
1: Well, Florida is interesting. Uh, I've been investing since, God, 98, I uh, was in the mortgage business and I was doing loans for an investor. And I realized that his proceeds on the HUD were a lot more than my 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 broker commission. So I kind of really, really liked his part of the HUD, not mine. I felt like I did more than he did uh, trying to get these people approved with all these crazy subprime loans and, as opposed to just yelling at the handyman to make sure he painted everything. <laughs> and uh, so I, and one day I bought five flips with hard money and I started on the lease. That was your first day.
2: You did five properties first your first year. I
1: bought five in one day with hard money. So, and the, the easiest rehab was the first because we, you know, needed to turn something. So, started from there. And that entity, I think I did like 60. Okay. So, and, uh, you know, and had rentals and did all that. Uh, about 04, I think, we founded the Southwest Florida. We were going to the Broward and Dade clubs because it was just fun. And we wanted to have the meetings here. And we actually... I'll never forget it was Woody's barbecue had a private room and we had to commit to 25 chicken dinners or to <laughs> use. The so everybody kind of had to order food. So there was four of us doing it. So I'm like, worst case scenario, we each have to buy six chicken dinners and take them. <laughs> if nobody shows up, it's not the end of the world, you know, Hey kids, we're going to eat chicken for two days. So, but we actually had about 60 people that came to the first meeting. We had uh, Bob Hunter who founded the daydrea. Uh, came over and just talked about investing and we've been going with that ever since. Currently, I mean, I own a retail brokerage. I invest in some stuff personally. I'm real big on notes and uh, defaulted notes and originating notes on seller held stuff. And we have a business called the Florida land team right now where I think we've done, I think last year in the pandemic, we did probably 170 lots and it's really taken off like a rocket now. And uh, I think we've got, three virtual assistants and six or seven people in the States all working remotely, either closers or transaction coordinators, or it's become like a, it started out as a, we planned it hung over new year's day last year. Seriously. Wow. And we, we met at my office and everybody was basically needing a bloody Mary. And we uh, kind of said, let's try this. And, and we tried it. And then we, we actually did some things and made some money. And we've just kept scaling it. And every time we scale it, it, it just reacts. It's That's
2: better. That's great. I want to jump into that stuff a lot. But let's close out. RIA. We, we mentioned RIA a few times. I don't know that everybody listening knows what a RIA is. And uh, Real Estate Investor Association And so it's a local group of investors. And a lot of times these are run like meetups, right? People come and meet. Yours monthly?
1: We meet twice a month. We have the uh, nighttime meeting uh, is the third Wednesday. The daytime meeting we meet for lunch the first Wednesday. We don't do information product sales for the most. I mean, it's just we mainly it's just real world stuff. Uh, Our last meeting was an attorney discussing, you know, specific performance, what to do when your seller refuses to close. And we kind of just do a lot of topics like that. It's a lot of fun, actually. I think our membership is about 260 members, and collectively, they probably own, because we actually track this metric uh, in Lee County. And I think it's like, oh, like 4,000 properties, believe it or not. It's pretty.
2: Yeah. So you've got, a very, you've got a very seasoned group. I know a lot of the RIAs attract newbies and people who want to learn and that kind of stuff and a handful of experienced folks, but a lot of it's uh, new folks. But it sounds like you have a very seasoned uh, group. Um, I would uh,
1: love to have more newbies at the meetings because then I can pull them into my land wholesaling because I, I need <laughs> talent terribly.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we always tell, right, the new folks that show up that one of the things they should do is go find a mentor. And there's two places we recommend doing that. One is the RIAs. And the other, a lot of your foreclosure sales are online. Our foreclosure sales are all still at the courthouse steps. We're like, go down to the foreclosure sales, because you'll meet the guys that pay cash, buy without title insurance, you know, buy the house, you know, they they know how to do the whole deal. Like go meet and talk to those guys, see if you can't get one of them to mentor you. But the RIAs are the other great place.
1: I miss uh, foreclosure sales at the courthouse. Those are so much fun.
2: Yeah. You'd be,
1: you'd bid up somebody and then they'd come stand next to you and try and step on your foot. And <laughs> I honestly think that gamesmanship is why our County pushed so hard to get them online.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, now, I've seen people throw shoes at people and,
1: It got to the point where you just all say, all right, everybody would nod. We'll partner up the three of us. Stop. I'd rather make a third of the money than no money just to, uh, just to, yeah.
2: That some of the salespeople were bringing cell phones. So then guys started bringing illegal cell phone jammers to keep their people from getting the bids. Uh, Yeah, no, it got got pretty nuts.
0: (laughs) I always warn people. That's one of the hardest strategies, but I have not heard that little tidbit. Wow.
2: Yeah. 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 No, it's, uh, like I got it's to the point. If I liked the
1: house, I would find this particularly if a neighbor had a little kid, I would tell the little kid, if you write down like what they look like when people came, I'll give you five dollars and I would have nowadays it would be even better with the cell phones. You know, <laughs> I'll give you five dollars to take a picture of their car and who was walking around the house so you can see who your competition is. <laughs> I mean, we even went so far when the game cameras came out for hunting. We were thinking about finding somewhere to put a hunting game camera on the really hot foreclosure coming up so that you can go grab the data and see who you're going to be bidding against.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. It's, that's that That is definitely the toughest way to uh, invest, but it's all online down there. Anyways. A lot of risk too. A lot of risk. So much
1: risk in that.
2: Yeah. No, no. It's, it's uh, I think it attracts some of the folks that attracts because it's like legal gambling, right? And it has all the high stakes poker kind of stuff going on with it. But Back to the Ria, just um, you run a pretty good one, Southwest Florida. We'll get information about that for folks at the end, so that they can find you and you can get more newbies uh, showing up. Hopefully, now let's let's jump back to, uh, you know, sounds like you're you're scaling and really uh, making it happen. How many deals are you guys doing a year?
1: We're looking at this year. We are probably if we continue at the current pace, we'll be three hundred.
2: Wow. What's a typical, tell me what a typical deal looks like. Walk us through that.
1: It's changed a lot because the market's changing a lot. Last year, we were doing a lot of, because we, 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 we have our own funds. So we close on some, we assign some. And we would, we would last year, we were tight margins. The market was pretty well-defined. Markets really doing kind of what I call some open field running right now. And so we're at the point where I'm closing on almost everything because the margins are just that much better. And then the time it takes to close, the margins are going up even more. Uh, case example, we had a five pack of lots and it kind of get problematic because you'll have like three lots of a developer says, hey, assign to me. And then there's always the other two. It's kind of like, you know. You know, the two people that nobody wants to dance with at the club that, you know, yeah. he, if somebody doesn't dance with them then nobody dances. So we uh, we always end up closing on them. And uh, this is how much our market has come up. Uh, we were fifty two now, fifty seven fifty was the way it came out each lot. Uh, I had them comp that we were going to list them at 10. So we were really happy with just on the two bad lots of the five lot package to just make a couple grand after cost in and out. We were thrilled. I just put one pending for 18 9 Wow. So I've got another one listed at, at 19 dollars and we'll probably end up getting 17 for it. So we're at the point where we've shifted to where I'm now closing on almost everything because the market is so good. Uh, and the time it takes the title agent to track down the corrected deed, the lots went up three grand. Wow. So, well, that is a... a, a kind of a red flag a little bit, not a bad thing, but just a thing, you know, the market's got a lot of momentum right now. So we're shifting to where we're realizing every lot we didn't close on, we probably left two to $5,000 on the table.
2: Yeah. Jeff, what, what, oh, sorry. I was just going to ask what the mix of land, single family residential. It's all land.
1: We're oh, called the Florida land Game. All we do is land.
2: Oh, Okay, great.
1: And I've done pretty much everything there is to do in real estate and once you have worked in land you will never want to touch an improved property again cuz you know there's no plumbing there's no it's you know yeah you've got environmental concerns you got vegetation you got elevation but you know I've never ripped out a bush and had to repipe a lot you <laughs> know what I mean? every time i uh, tear out a piece of drywall i'm fixing something else you know it's just the way the way houses are I uh, got big rehab going right now on a property.
2: It's like peeling the onion and there's always something else underneath. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the land is, I call it printing $10,000 bills. Once you find it right, the keys, you've got to have the exit. So it's like everything else, uh, you know, you got to buy it right, but but you better have a predefined exit, whatever you're doing.
0: So you're cultivating relationships with your end buyer. So you've got a list of buyers going after this stuff.
1: We literally three buyers. Wow. Uh, We've got one, guys developer, one guy who flips them to somebody else, but he makes my life easy. So I know we're probably leaving a little on the table with this guy, but he buys everything we put in front of him and he closes and, you know, he gets to make a little money, too. And that's great. So,
2: yeah, I, that was one thing I found, you know, flipping was. You know, sooner or later, too, you just run out of capital at times, right? And so, having a good a good list of folks that you can like hand stuff off to, and this is one thing I th- I think a lot of folks miss, right? So, just to keep the math simple. You know, you buy a lot for ten thousand, you sell it for twenty, and let's just assume there's no cost, right? You you make ten grand. It's a really good return on investment. But if that takes you a year, right? It's a very different investment. It's, a, it's actually a lower return than if you make $1,000 in one day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. We, we probably are still assigning some. And I've got some markets that, they're, I mean, we're working, I'm in uh, Lee County, which is uh, Fort Myers. And we're working Palm Bay. We're working Northport. Uh, we've even doing some stuff in Ocala. We're actually getting ready to get tasked. I just got tasked that we're going to go to three other states. And oh start getting for a couple other clients. Yeah, we're going to have to set up some more land teams. I guess we're going to be the main land team or something. Next, set up some new companies. But we're, our platform's really robust. We're really a tech platform that, that 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 gets pointed at land, is really what we are. But you are uh, the assignments are are your bread and butter in this game. But the key is is to, to, you know you need real people to close. And honestly, the hardest part lately is keeping the sellers in the game.
2: Because right. right. they've
1: got a million. Because they start
2: people. seeing value go up. And... Yeah. This we're
1: actually be... filing a specific performance lawsuit from a guy that refused to close. And normally, I would not do that. But this was just so egregious. And there's a pretty big spread in the lot that we're actually, we just wrote the attorney the check and go get him, dude.
2: Well. Wow.
0: There's a lot of nuance in the market. I mean, the areas that you're talking about—that's that's huge. And there's so many environmental things that you have to know. And some of these lots have been passed down from generation to generation. That's that's some good use of some public records. Can you talk a little bit about <laughs> how different You want to talk
1: was. about the coolest? We just picked up in Cape Coral when they developed it. They had they call them skinnies because it's an 80 by 125 lot to build. And for God knows what reason, they sold a bunch of 40 by 125s. So you have people that bought these lots that aren't buildable because every time you see a Cape Coral lot, it'll be lots five and six. Well, there's some that are just lots five and you get people out of state that don't know any better and they don't realize they're not buying a a, a buildable lot because it's not wide enough. Nobody has a a 20 foot wide floor plan that the city will approve to go on it someday, maybe, but not yet. We actually data mined the skinny lots Hmm. and we found two side by side we're about to sell that lot for 35 grand. We're in it for 15. And it's just because it took us 10 days to uh, match the two up together.
2: Yeah. So neither person had a buildable lot, but get the two and you're good.
1: And then the funny, there was skinnies on either side of these. And once we combined ours, they're, they're done. Cause you know, they're unless one of the lots on the either side was to buy it and absorb it in, but they'll never build on them. And, one had so many liens it couldn't we couldn't buy it. And the other one was the I know what I got seller. So and we're like, ma'am, once we combine these lots, you're done. You know, you're never going to build on this lot, but you know, maybe we could do something here. It's a win-win for everybody. And it was the I know what I got. You ain't, you know, okay, you win. So we combine the lots, and now she's got this skinny lot she'll never build on. So at mm-hmm. some point, whoever builds on that lot, honestly, you you have kind of a free. Forty foot parking lot next door that no one's ever going to build on. <laughs> Not that legally you can park on their land, you know, but when you have a pool party on Saturday, you could probably stick ah, a couple cars on it.
2: Place to keep the boat. I, I actually, uh, I had a lot next door to me that I tried for years to acquire and couldn't, but it was just it was vacant. And um, but I would, uh, I actually planted seeds. I, I put seeds for grass and watered it and turned it because it's all weeds and terrible. That made it like a big extra lawn.
1: Yeah, I have a. Uh, I live on the water, and across the street from me is a half acre lot. That's just a lot that's wooded up, and I call it my parking lot. And I actually keep the trees knocked down and mow it. And because when you know when we have a pool party, I'll I'll put four or five cars on there for. Uh, I feel like I should be like sending them a bill for my services, but you know, <laughs> I'm trying to
2: buy a but, check for
1: rent. Yeah, they paid ninety grand for it in like '04, and it's worth twenty five today. You know, I would, I'd buy it. I definitely want to go I, back.
0: You said you started the club in 2004 and Hurricane Charlie happened in 2004, correct? Yeah. yeah well,
1: I actually th- think it was November of 03 was our first meeting, believe it or not.
0: <laughs> okay. So. You were like eight, I think. I would love to cover that really quick because when a hurricane happened, something very unusual happened in that market. Can you talk a little bit about what you experienced after that happened? It, it was a, a category four and it hit the market directly, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it was a really weird storm. Here's a, uh, an interesting thing. If you become friends with a lot of firemen and you move to Florida, they all get called in when there's a storm coming. So I had a house full of firemen's wives and kids, and this was supposed to go up the coast. Seems like fun, but really wasn't being the only guy in this mix. It really wasn't. I was uh, mixing a lot of margaritas because we actually had quite the party going on because it was supposed to go straight up the coast and not hit us. And then it shifted and came right down the river, and my house took a direct hit. But oh. so I went from we had uh, projectors going with kids playing video games and margaritas and people in the pool. It wasn't it wasn't a terrible day until we got the call that hey, it's coming up the river. You need to you need to take shelter because it was a pretty nasty storm and intensified from a two to a four and shifted right. You're on and a river, river, so
2: probably no basement.
1: Yeah, no, now there's no basements, but it's hurricane really, it's pretty rare to destroy your home, but it'll rip the roof off is the problem, like the shingles. And then you get water in your house, Yeah. but you, you know, it takes a, you know, the, the eyewall is just a small thing. Give me an example, go off topic. Uh, I helped a guy portfolio build in 2010 and I purposely had him in three markets. Each one of those markets would have only taken the eyewall from a hurricane. So we split up the house buying so that if an eye wall hit Lehigh, his Cape portfolio was fine because the eye is generally not that big. So your whole portfolio isn't nuked, you know, kind of something to think about in Florida with hurricanes. Uh, if you're in one concentrated area, one eye wall could take out most of your portfolio. And then you got insurance claims and, you know, it's, it's not fun. Uh, but it had an interesting corollary. We were already pretty hot by then i mean the middle of 04 was really a growth phase and it was that's when the no doc loans hit and and so we were starting to go from what i call a boom to a mania but then the most interesting thing happened that hurricane hit it dumped about a billion dollars of insurance money in the market it brought in all these construction crews so we 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 took a little inventory out we threw a bunch of capital in inflationary and then we had a huge rental demand of all these all these construction workers that need somewhere to live while they're working. So it it kind of threw gas on a really hot fire. And then couple that with the no-doc loans and everything that was going on, it it turned into a mania overnight. Third quarter of 04, our average price in a quarter went up
0: 30%. Wow. So and uh, at that point,
1: I'm at the RIA meeting and I can remember people pitching me pitching me $330,000 houses that rented for 1200 a month. And I'm like, I'm like buddy, that's not an investment. That's an act of lunacy. That's not, you know what I mean? That's not, don't, please don't do this. And then late 07, I'm having coffee with the same people, giving them a good attorney's phone number to, uh, you know, get out of these things.
0: And a therapist. <laughs>
1: well, and after, you know, on top of that, the prices went up so high, so fast and the rents did not keep up. At like today, the prices are going up, but the rents are keeping up. To where the, the you had a point where everybody was negative cash flow the moment they bought it, right? And then, and then you know, the market crashes, rents went down 25%, taxes and insurance went up, and it was that's why the beginning of our foreclosure crisis was 70% non homesteaded.
0: I wanted to bring that up because you just mentioned some of these people were buying land with loans just does nothing but hold the earth together for as long as you own it for 90 to 100 grand that you're you're now the market has improved at the bottom of the market what was that $90,000 lot selling for
1: I was picking up Lehigh lots for 1500 bucks that were selling for 55,000 6 years earlier
0: that is painful
2: <laughs>
1: oh it, it, it all depends on your timing it's really amazing if you're on the right side of the trade
2: <laughs> painful yeah. for them not for you <laughs> yeah but the
1: uh it was I'll give you an example. We started the RIA me and one of the other principals, uh, one of our tricks was we would acquire a lot. We'd put it in a land trust and we would just sell the beneficial interest in the land trust. So it's less closing costs, less brain damage. You know, here's the title commitment where we bought it. Have your guy do a gap run, you know, and it was just quicker and easier. Well, we sold a lot in Lehigh. We got it for like six, sold it for 14. We're high fiving each other. And then a year later, it's running around the room, my land trust. I know it because I made up the land trust and uh, it was 50 and somebody bought it. And I'm, I looked at the, the the other guy. I'm like, we should have just paid the taxes for a
2: year. Wow.
1: So I'm like, at the time we were brilliant. And, you know, a year later we were the dumbest people I met because we didn't pay the taxes for $300 and just wait for a year.
2: Everybody that was slipping from 09 to whatever, 13, wishes they'd kept everything they flipped.
1: Yeah, it was just it got to where it was just purely a mania. I mean, right now we're in a boom market; the whole country is. There's a difference between you know the tulip bulbs, the South Seas trading company, the dot com stocks from 2000, and and just a bull run. You know, there's a there's a delineation when it just completely leaves intrinsic value. But right now, I think what's saving us is the fact that we everything's still tied to wages. The mortgages are. So as long as they keep that, we're, we're okay. I mean, I def like I ran numbers, uh, and I'm big on math. I mean, Aaron and I just completely geeked out over breakfast recently over doing some math, but like our cash percentage for this February versus last February, it actually went up. So, you know, there's people trying to scream that it's 2005 when the cash percentage was almost 36% of the sales were all cash. And yeah. above a half a million, they they're for therefore, it's, it's significantly higher. So you really have uh, just such a, and it's something when you look at Southwest Florida, like maybe 5% of the sales in 05 were cash. By the time the market corrects in, say, 09, uh, at least 75% of the sales were cash. So we went from being probably one of the most over leveraged markets in the country with us, Arizona, and, say, Scottsdale were probably the most over leveraged markets in the country to when we washed out all of that unsustainability, it was replaced with equity. So we, we've went to becoming one of the more free and clear markets in the country now, as far as equity wise. Right.
0: Man, well, okay. So we, I, I wanted to cover that because land is a very interesting asset class. You know, it's, it, I don't know, some would consider it really risky and unless you build on it. So you're not, are you land banking at all? Are you sitting on a lot no. of stuff?
1: There's two reasons you buy land. You're either for speculation or to use it, you know? And, and I always say, uh, we teach this at the RIA. The one thing we I watch in this market is the Cape land market because land represents hope, you know? That, that lot was 1,500 because there wasn't much hope, you know? That lot was 65,000 because it was just insane euphoria. So, and, and there really wasn't any difference. The land hadn't changed. Right. You know, well. Just the people change. So land represents hope. And there's two reasons you buy it. Well, there's other reasons, you know, you can buy things in just a store of value. I have an investor friend who only buys land with his, uh, basically, he makes a lot of money, he buys land with, you know, after his reserves, because he doesn't, his tax situation, depreciating rental would be bad for him. So he has a very semi-unique life. So for him, the depreciation doesn't work for him, according to his accountant. So he buys land as a store of value so he doesn't have to depreciate it. And then his joke is he buys land wherever he vacations, so he calls it all business trips.
2: Yeah. What about, you know, the hard part with land banking land, obviously, is that you have expense without income. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so that you've got, you know... uh, you know, a lot of people like complain about gold because gold doesn't have any income, right? And so you're kind of constantly losing value versus if you have a store of value that has some return on investment. So there's no return on investment on land. So how, how do you how do you answer that?
1: Uh, well, it's ultimately it's not an it's I don't consider things an investment when you're working off gains for and the way I work. I put a dollar here, I get seven cents a year. I call that investment.
2: Totally. Okay, if, I,
1: if I put a dollar down and my hope is to get a dollar 25 someday, that's a trade. So land for the most part, unless you're putting it to use, and there are ways to actually make money on land. I'm a member of a fraternal organization and we just got approached to put a cellular tower next to our lodge.
0: That's yeah.
1: actually, that's an investment. Totally. So, yeah,
2: there are other ways you can do that uh, i have a board cell towers uh cattle grazing you know there are quite a few well you I also have, you have these said.
1: fireworks and and christmas tree guys yeah if you buy a good corner uh particularly you put a saw pole on it you know for temporary power and i have a friend who talk about a deal he stole it in 09 and then he sold 20 feet off the front of the DOT for a stupid number. It's a decent corner in Lehigh. And now he's about to sell 20 feet off the left-hand side to the DOT for a rather stupid number. And he's still got enough to develop, but he's got the fireworks guys that are there for what? New Year's Eve, 4th of July. He's got the Christmas tree guy. He actually makes a pretty decent little return. And and on the top of that, he gets a free Christmas tree.
0: (laughs) He's doing pumpkins this fall. He's got it all like, okay.
1: Food yeah. trucks, there's food truck guy. And the jo- I, I called him. I'm like, so how much a taco guy giving you? He just like lunch.
0: He lunch. Going, knows
1: him, but you know, it's, there are utilities to land, but utans, lands generally more of a trade, but like you brought up gold, that's a really good analogy, but no sane person would have a hundred percent of their portfolio in gold or, right. land. or land, you know, it's a, it's a nice, it's a good little insurance hedge.
2: Yeah.
1: It's a cyclical no. market-based insurance hedge, but it's a good little insurance hedge
0: can yeah. you, in, in public records here. in public records can you share maybe a little bit of insight into the leads that you really like Is it somebody who's owned a piece of land for 60 years its somebody licking their wounds from 2006 who bought it for 90 grand like uh, what gets you excited?
1: I used to only do out-of-state people and I've come to the conclusion I'm just I just send everybody something. Okay. Believe it or not, yeah, I call it vintage-based marketing too. Like you get this people that bought in these years and that year, but. Landowners are probably the most interesting sellers on the planet because there's so many people that owning a piece of land for them is part of their, almost their makeup. You know, they go to cocktail parties and they're like, yeah, I have this lot in Florida and it's just kind of part of their makeup. It really is. Uh, They get separation anxiety about selling their lot in Florida that they'll never build on and some have never seen, but it's just kind of part of, hey, I got land in Florida. I got something going for me. Believe it or not, there's a lot of them. And, uh, and and then on top of that, it, it's all the right timing. Timing is everything. And really to time right, you need to be on scale for people. You just need to be touching. We used to do very particular vintages. I'm now hitting just basically three, three, nine, seven, six, and Lehigh, everybody in it.
2: Do you do you time your marketing like for like when the property tax bill hits? Cause that's when people go, God, do I really want this anymore?
1: That, that's one thing that I've
2: thought, found works well for land.
1: See, I'd look at it differently for us. Our approach is we market constantly 24-7 every day. We have a metrics in our dashboard of how many leads came in today. And if it's under 25, it's in the red. So it, you, life is about building a database. Yeah. That's really your entire business. We're at the point, I think we've got 10,000 people in the areas we work that have responded and wow. we've talked to, so we're, you know, we, and I jo- my plan is someday to have that be every piece of land on planet earth. So when, 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 we're the, and then I'm going to talk to Elon about hitting Mars once we, you know, once we totally get that <laughs> going, but you know, it's all about the database. We do better when the tax bills come out, we do okay. better right after the first of the year, but there's people that are ready to sell land for any the transmission drops out of their car their daughter just informed them. She said yes to that young man on his knee. There's a lot of reasons that people suddenly need yeah. some capital. And Before if Christmas. you're not in front of them and talking to them, you know, the old time, yeah, you mail here, mail there. It's the most efficient. But we live in a 24-7 interconnected world. And it's so easy to market now that there's no reason not to never, you know, I always say, always be closing. It's really should be ABM, always be marketing. Always be marketing. So on that.
2: Direct mail, I assume, is part of it. Mm -hmm. Cold calling? Yeah, it's not the funnest. Yeah. Email? No. No, you're not doing email? Once they
1: opt in and they talk to us, we email them. But cold email, no.
2: No cold email. Um, Custom audience?
1: Yeah, some, yes, no. I'm really good with the social media stuff, so I'm not going to give out a whole lot of that. But, yes, we do do that. Fair enough. In theory, we might do that. Yes.
2: Any any that I missed?
1: Oh well, SMS is—they're really about to make that go away.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: Really working on SMS to go away. Voicemail, mail pays probably the biggest dividends because is while it's more expensive, it is a physical piece of the world that they stick in a drawer.
2: What, what I always say is like, when you think about impressions, like right? Think about the number of ads scrolling by in your browser and stuff every day, right? And everybody's like, well, people just throw away direct mail. But think about that for a minute. How long does it take you? You got to get that piece of mail out of the mailbox where you might see it. You got to sort it where you're going to see it. You've got to decide you're going to put it in the trash can where you're feeling it picking up and you're putting it in the trash can. That's way more of an impression than any online ad, even if it's just on the way to the trash can.
1: Well, a lot of the lot owners are older, too. So they read their mail. I think yes. when the millennials and younger are the biggest gener- biggest percentage of lot owners, direct mail will probably be useless.
2: I, I, I will tell you, I disagree. Because having a 17- and an 18-year-old, they're fascinated by mail. Really? Yeah. They like to pick. My son was like, oh, yeah, I'll pick up the mail. And he's like, oh, dad, you got a platinum, you know, whatever card offer. I'm like, dude, you know. Do you let
1: your kids have a phone, though, is the question.
2: (laughs) Oh, they uh, they do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, the the mail like I, I own a brokerage too. And when we mail in predominantly 55 and up areas, we get double the response rate. So generally yeah. I find it, it in, in any asset class that has a like an older demographic that owns it, your direct mail just trends better. But direct yeah. mail in and of itself is useless. You know, it needs to be multiple touches accompanied by every bit of electronic, anything you can do to back it up and get in front of them. It's, You know, I, I think about how easy we had it in 2004 for marketing, because all you did was mail some postcards and maybe do a newspaper ad or a shopper ad. And at that point, you know, there was some online ads, but they weren't really as prevalent. It was kind of like an arcane art too. But when I really look at marketing today, it is, it is complex. Uh, Like the ad sets that I use are three to five deep down. Uh, it's really complex, you know, and and they've taken away a lot of the ability like that whole hack the election with Facebook thing actually cost me a lot of money because I lost the ability to upload some custom audiences. I, I mean, we at one point had figured out a way to when I would get something in a neighborhood, I had a custom audience from public records of just the people in that neighborhood. Yeah. So I, I would spend like $8 to fully expose an asset to the people that are most likely to know somebody to want to buy it, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, I, the biggest thing I'm mad about the whole thing. I'm not to get into any kind of partisan politics, but the aftermath of that raised my, my advertising cost online about 300% because I went from, I went from very kind of targeted laser things to broad, broad-based everything.
2: Now, because you're in land, you're not feeling probably yet the impacts of something like Sunday. And I don't think Sunday's in your market, but there are basically the open door of on the investor side or, you know, Zillow offers or those offer pad, that kind of thing. And we're seeing the same thing where they're coming into a market and they have so much money, you know, capital that they've raised to spend. It's pushing up the advertising costs dramatically for our customers. You probably aren't feeling that yet from any kind of institutional players.
1: There's a whole lot of us. There's two other groups that are exactly what we do in town. Yeah. I mean, both members of the RIA too.
2: So you're but, pushing up each other's costs.
1: Yeah, no, it's they. some people respond that ultimately what this all boils down to and why I'm never worried about I buyers or anything. It's all about your level of talent, your level of focus, and the most important thing is for a human being to either sit in front of another human being or have a phone conversation that that is relevant and that you have some cognizance about it. Because you know, I I did a we did a wonderful attempt at having VAs close people. Yeah, it did not work. Yeah, so, you know, and it was a good experiment, but it, it just. And it's not even the talent. The one the one one lady particularly is very talented, but there's just such a difference barrier of not understanding what Publix means for a Cape Coral lot that she'll probably never know, even if we explained it to her, it doesn't correlate well. So while all, all the technology platforms and all that in the world, my experience is they can't close well. Share with us what your game is. A lot of people blame Zillow and blame my buyers. And they really, the only competition
2: you have is you. We always like to say change is the only constant and change is where all opportunity comes from. And so, you know, if you can't roll with that change and deal with that change, you're just shutting yourself down to opportunity. So it sounds like you're pretty good at rolling with change.
1: In Palm Bay, we hit that market. We got amazing response rates. And somebody came and at the time, lots were retail 12 to 15. Some group mailed everybody an offer for $25,000 with the intent, I think, to retrade them. But in the meantime, it killed our marketing because we're writing offers and they're going, hey, and they even sent us some of the letters that were an offer. But what we did is we we jumped in and we waited for that 30 days when we knew they were never going to close. Mm. And then guess what? Uh, you know, and, and one of our guys on the phone, his pitch is Look, uh, I'm the easy girl at prom, I'm a sure thing. So it's literally what he says to people, and but then they sign, they love it, they think it's the funniest thing on the planet. The way you know, it's all about how you say it, but and so we got to use the worthy, we're we're, you know, we're the easy prom day, we're a sure thing. So, you know, if you want to keep dreaming or do you want to have a fun prom? Yeah. And, and that was literally and we got a bunch of deals out of that by just backing off. We, we, we kind of shut down the marketing. We let that take place because, you know, math means things. If, if a lot is ten thousand dollars, unless there is BlackRock knows something we don't and is gobbling up a whole market. And this was obviously not BlackRock and it's marketing. That somebody sold these people, of course, that said, you know, retrade them and then you'll, you know, that, that kind of thing. And the beauty is they put out a lot of mail. And while it disrupted our initial run in 30 days, we were slaying.
2: That's great. It is great. Walk, walk us through, what uh, you know, you're scaling up, you're adding people. What, are, what does your team look like? What are the key people that you need to help you scale?
1: That's really hard because we've got probably the most eclectic group of human beings on the planet. So I mean it really there is no model
2: uh, their titles or are they're like people who are just focused on closing and other yeah, people we, are have ju- on we have marketing? We have
1: we have people that kind of do the the workup then we have closers. Uh, we have one lady that all she does she is extremely OCD and all she does is manage our transactions. And she will figure out if the title company misspelled something in the, in the email, because that's her level of OCD, which is exactly who you want managing your transactions, and, you know, reviewing your HUDs. We've got some VAs that actually work just our CRM. Uh, you know, we kind of have a little bit of everything. It's a pretty big scaled up with very specific role players. And and honestly, as we identify friction points, we add people to, to, to fix the friction. Yeah. Cause the biggest thing, you know, you're scaling when there's friction because nobody scales and, uh, and, 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 you know, have, it's not wine and roses scaling. It's, you know, things come up, you get overwhelmed. It's just, it's business. And, yeah. you know, if you haven't had an argument with your partner, you're busy, you're probably not busy enough. <laughs> you know, it's just the way it is. It's just the way business is done. You know what I mean? And you get human beings and you're, you're talking to each other a lot and it's just the way it is, but yeah, we we basically have role players. We we kind of have a, a schematic of our of our process, and we have people. And then the hardest thing for us is salespeople because salespeople are such a rare breed, like real closers. I mean, right. I'm not talking to somebody to read from a script, a, a a real life closer. And like we have one girl who's amazing, and she'll call me and she talks for like 30 minutes about like what do you think this lot in Lehigh's worth. And it dawned on me at the end of one of the calls. I'm like, that's why she's so amazing because I'm on the phone and we're talking about her kids and my kids and this and that music video. And, and but by the end of it, you know what I mean? You're completely at ease. And, you know, she, she, she's just really good at it. And, and she actually enjoys talking to people. And, and, you know, that, that is probably our hardest thing because we have another guy who only does really high volume deals, but his, he could probably do a lot more business if he wasn't so curt about everything. You know what I mean? I'm almost ready to somehow have a grading system in our leads. Yeah. You know, daddy, Cathy's go to this one.
2: Lead scoring. Because the old busy, guys
1: go to this guy. You know what I mean? The busy yeah.
2: professional probably prefers the curt, fast to the point guy. Right. Yeah, it could be. And, you know, grandma who hasn't talked to anybody in two months, uh, you know, her kids aren't calling. She's probably loves this other gal.
1: Yeah, now she she talk. She likes to talk, and and she slays it. We've done. She's picked up like a thirteen pack, of lot's from a guy that was just a huge rainmaker. Wow, oh, huh. that's cool.
0: And the and the the VAs, you're just having the background. You said working on CRM stuff and research.
1: They do everything.
2: Data cleaning. I up. mean, the
1: VAs are VAs are. Like we have a VA with the RIA. I have VAs with my brokerage. I have VAs in every business. There are certain things that VAs actually do better than us.
0: I will have to tell you, I'm on your marketing for your club and you do a great job. I get your voicemail drops. I get your emails. You've really got it dialed in. So your team does yeah. a really good job.
2: VAs are super interesting to all of our folks. Give us a list of things that you think VAs are acceptable at, Whether where you think they're even better than you know what you're able to find talent locally for.
1: Well, VAs don't, believe it or not, make as many mistakes as a, as people in America.
0: Right. And if you
1: tell them to do A, B, and C, they will do A, B, and C, as opposed to try and innovate. You know what I mean? If, if, if they have a better way to do it, they will. But you know, it's very by the rule followers. So I kind of respect by the books. Yeah. and, uh, and, and we, we Americans we're not the good rule
2: followers. followers.
1: Yeah, they don't, and and that's the amazing part. Is if hey, I need you to click this button sixty five times. Your average American is going to groan and complain and whine the entire time they click the button sixty five times, to where first of all they're in another country, so you don't know. That's another thing I love about VAs, is that if they're having a bad day, you really don't know because you're not. They're in the Philippines. They're in India. They don't really, you know what I mean. That if, if she's having a really bad day, as long as all the tasks got clicked, it's fine, and you know. It's it, they do a lot of, but VA should be doing things that, that you basically what makes you money and what makes you money. You should be doing the actual, what I call moments of truth, everything else should be set up. So in my opinion.
0: Okay. Is there any opportunity in, I know the area just had FEMA go through and update all the flood zone maps. Would you take on that? point of data in your marketing and say, Hey, your, you know, flood zone just changed. You might have a challenge with selling or I don't
1: know. Well, let me share something with you. In downtown Fort Myers, there was a pretty well-esteemed building that was for sale and they changed the FEMA map so that a little sliver of the building came into a flood zone and it killed a really good deal. So, you know, that that, the the FEMA maps can be in either direction. And generally the FEMA maps are just more of a negative event, in my opinion, here in Florida than they are anything else. Uh, We do notice them. Almost every builder wants flood zone X. You know, it's no that they just don't because the problem when you get into the other flood zones, you're bringing in more fill. More fill is a much bigger cost. Uh, You know, on lots, it's elevation and vegetation are your two biggest things. To uh, to pay attention to because when you're building a home, the lot clearing and the fill dirt are are two variables that that can be tough. And if you're ever going to do land, you need to get pretty good at figuring that out. But when you're doing uh, when you're doing that kind of stuff, yeah, if something suddenly became flood zone X, yeah, I'd be all over that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's usually not going that way, is it?
1: Yeah, it generally goes the opposite direction,
2: right? Because all of Florida is sinking, right? I'm just-
1: <laughs> yeah if you listen but you know <laughs> there, I, I, I you know, know the scary part there really are people that believe all this stuff on the internet like the world is flat i mean it's not a joke
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it probably is not something to make sense. <laughs> yeah.
1: we had a seller who was a flat earther And we used to just listen to the calls because he would just continually bring stuff up like that. And I almost wanted to call him and that's not really what I do, you know, and I almost wanted to call him just to hear it. Yeah. (laughs) Have a couple glasses of wine and call this guy and just uh, hear what he has to say.
0: Now, you mentioned CRM. Do you have a favorite one that you recommend?
1: No, no, we're always trying to find the next better one. Okay. Any other? No, I mean, we use, we use, Multiple CRMs for different things. Some for marketing, some for follow up, some for this. But uh, we are always looking for a better product. I was almost ready to buy my own or build our own. And so I talked to one of my mentors, and he brought up a point. He goes, "When you build your own platform, when it breaks, no, there's nobody to fix it but you." It really is a pretty, you know, pretty wow moment. And then you're, you're also married mentally to this thing you built that's now kind of part of you, and it, it it'll prevent you from pivoting. So yeah, we're very agnostic when it comes to CRMs. Whatever works the best, uh, if if they have, a, you know, works the best in cost relation. There's some great CRMs, but to spend you know four thousand dollars a month to use a CRM is insane. And there's some out there that once you add the users, it hit that level. Oh, for, sure. for yep. sure.
0: Is there any other technology stack that you are really enjoying this year?
1: Well, skip tracing is a lot of fun because they seem to just flip back and forth. Some days are good. Some days they are bad. Uh, really, it's just more integrations. I mean, the greatest gift to the world since the Gutenberg printing press is Zapier. So, I mean, there's few things that that bind the world together better than Zapier.
2: Yeah, so, we've got a lot of customers that are that love the fact that they can now feed their CRMs and marketing automation tools with public records directly from our systems through Zapier, and we're the only ones who do that.
1: Yeah, it's Zapier. Is there's some other clones that are out there that we haven't tried yet? But I mean, without Zapier, this would be a lot tougher to do. Yeah, I mean, I was the other day, the is like the Subtle sort of RIA, we do some marketing. It's very rudimentary. It's not nearly on the level of what we do. And like, I'll have a video and then, you know, retarget with another video. And then there's a lead ad. But then I was just looking at what happens on the lead ad. You know, Zapier takes it from Facebook. uh, The RIA uses Podio. So that takes it into Podio, then adds it to MailChimp, then adds it to another service I use for some additional retargeting. Right. So it's pretty amazing. And it costs, I think we do $20 a month. Yeah. I, mean, I, I honestly want to call them up and say, I don't know. You guys are kind of showing yourselves a little
2: short guys. Uh, oh, you know. don't. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can help you uh, spend more money with them. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, we're always, I would love to talk to you
1: guys about that. I, I we're always looking for a better way to do it. Uh, I would had lunch with a guy who did what I did before. And he's now worth a lot of money as a result of what we're doing. And uh, I came out of it, you know, because there's nothing like the insight of having done something, you know, because at the time, you know, what appears to you isn't what really is generally in business. In hindsight, well, we should have did this. Like in hindsight, you asked about the targeted list. In hindsight, I should have been hitting every person. They no. should have just taken zip codes and worked every zip code instead of trying to pull out these special people. That yeah, I would you argue do- though
2: you you still have a targeted list, right? Because you're not, you're hitting lots, you're not hitting every property, right? You're not hitting residential properties.
1: I'm at the point if you have land in the market we want, you're getting you're getting marketing. Right, there's no reason not to
0: commercial as well as residential.
1: Now, commercial is tough. So you're targeting. You're targeting. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> see, when you say target, I'm thinking from Minnesota who bought five to ten years ago.
2: Yeah, I do think though that you know to some degree, like, so yeah, I think you know you're, you're targeting to get down to the product you want, and then mailing to everybody, which is great. But I, I do think that, and this just becomes a time amount of time that you have, like. The person who bought a year ago versus the person who had it for ten years, right? The the person who's seventy versus the person who's thirty, like those people have different wants and needs, and you could probably improve your messaging and get better. You could probably improve your response rates. By course, it's a lot, lot easier to buy a
1: lot for seven thousand that they bought for four than to buy and, a lot for seven thousand that they yeah. bought for eighty five.
2: Yeah, so that, you know, understanding those things too, right? Like, which, which, you know, so we like to talk about that as segmenting. So you start with that big list and then you segment it into these smaller things. So, that, you know, the guy who is 85, you know, it's like, hey, your lot's probably never going back to 85. It's a different message than the guy who bought it for four and he's going to get a double.
1: Yeah. Well, the lot for 85 are fun. And, uh, the interesting thing is, is, uh, probates on land don't seem to be just as viable. I just don't like I did well with improved properties with probates. With right. probate, we tried it. It's just not, it's for some reason, not as viable.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, we're about out of time. Um, yeah. what are you excited about in 2021? You're in the middle of a hot market. It's scalding hot in Florida overall. Um, mm-hmm. Some people are are worried and, you know, you see the headlines, you know, it's going to bust. How are you feeling about the market?
1: Um, I drill deep into the market. Like for the Cape Land market, I have a spreadsheet that does year over year closed sales and then blends in what's pending and then blends in what's active based on pricing. And I, I call it momentum, you know, momentum. Basically, it's probably trend lines carrying stuff forward of where it's going to end up. But we're, uh, I'm watching all of the markets. What you, you'll know when I shut down the Florida land team will be probably when, when we, not I, there's a few of us doing it. But when we pivot out of the Florida land team is probably when you'll know because we've got probably the best data sets around. I'm not saying I'm the best, or but we probably have the best data sets and we have two of us in this that are extremely analytical. So it's not just me there. There's at least two opinions on everything, but I, we're not, we're not there yet. And this is a different driver. Like you've got from 2000 to 2025, a lot of retirees coming here. And then on top of that, I'm seeing a modality that I've never seen before. And my brokerage, I have a retail brokerage and we're selling to 40 year olds that are going to snowbird because they can now remotely work here in the winter. Which that I've never seen in mass. So I've done three of those. Our company sold three of those now recently, and then I'm also seeing the biggest consumers in America by by a percentage are Gen Z, and they like the Millennials were late bloomers because they kind of grew up with this backdrop of a bad economy. Gen Z's never seen a bad time that they really remember, so they're they're a little more they're they're a lot more bullish. Like I, I kind of. You look at a generation and, you know, they either grew up on a bull or a bear bo- backdrop. Like Gen X, we grew up in kind of a bear backdrop. So we're we're kind of a little always got a bearish lens to things because, you know. My we, son's
2: Gen Z and he called me to pitch me on GameStop. So, yes, bearish. I'd <laughs> be bullish. You know
1: what, though? I made money on, Gen, on GameStop. You <laughs> made fun. 60% on what I put in it.
2: I love well, you know what's
1: cool about GameStop is that uh-oh. a whole younger generation realized that you can actually make money on your phone and not just play things and watch things True. both of my boys are my sons are 22 and 24 and in college and all we talk about is Robin Hood now yeah every yeah. day they call to tell me what stock they bought so I mean as a father I'm excited that they're you know that they're. You know they go to college. They have jobs, but they're also spending some of their spare time in trying to figure out how to make money.
2: It's it's crazy how big it is in the college scene. Like Robin, like yeah, it's it's a little scary though with uh, with the uh, with some of the um, oh, what's the word uh, um, the funding the uh, crowdfunding. No, no, no. Um, where they they let you trade? Uh, they uh, it's debt on margin. Oh, margin. My. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, it's if you margin really stuff. You know, I don't thing. know that you should be giving 20-year-old kids in college margin to be trading GameStop. Yeah.
1: That or, is a little scary. You never know. <laughs> There's always the rush it, and then you'll hear about <clears throat> the bad ones. But when you look at our market, Gen Z is coming on strong. So I see two primary drivers right now. There's Gen Z and some of the millennials buying their first homes. Mm-hmm. And then you've got wealthy to-do baby boomers coming down here. And between the two, excuse me, they're driving both ends (coughs) of the market. You've got the entry-level housing market is insane. Good luck finding a cheap home. But also, good luck finding value on a $700,000 waterfront home, too. You're not stealing that either.
2: Right, right, right.
1: But then again, this is fun. You guys out of California, I talked to a guy today. He was telling me about a seven hundred thousand dollar California house. as compared to I'm like he was telling me about a seven hundred thousand dollar California house that is a fifteen hundred square foot three two with a pool. And I'm like, well, that here would be four thousand square feet with a water view and a pool, and yeah, would be a lot. And it was pretty pretty basic. Like you need to go to Home Depot and buy some new cabinet kind of finishes. And, uh, you know, you don't have to do much to move into this house and start enjoying life. So it's uh, yep. there's so much capital coming from the West Coast to this area right now that it, it's insane.
0: Well, Jeff, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how is what's the best way to follow you?
1: Uh, it's a really good question, actually. Uh, uh, let we'll start with the RIA. How
2: do they find the RIA?
1: Uh, the Ria's website is swflreia.com. There's also a uh, Facebook page for the Southwest Florida REA. I think we have about, about 30,000 followers, believe it or not. Uh, for me personally, uh, honestly, let's, give me a call. My number is 239 671 8248. I'm down to talk to anybody if, if you have a question. Uh, I started out in this business and, and I really had no clue what I was doing. And I'm only alive because I had some amazing mentors who drew no value from helping me. So I don't, I mean, I, I don't understand why one guy has spent so much time saving me from myself, they, one of my mentors. So uh, I, I feel kind of duty bound to repay that. With that said, I'm probably not going to be your full-time mentor, but if you got questions, if you need some help with something want somebody to bounce something off of, give me a call. Thanks.
2: Jeff. Before you call him to ask for mentoring, go online And do a little research on how to ask for a mentor, what to expect from a mentor, how, like, you know, there is, there is, there's stuff on you when you ask people to mentor you. And you should understand what that is because otherwise you're, you know, Jeff's probably going to stop returning your calls. So do that research before you call Jeff, please.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for listening to the Data Driven Real Estate podcast. You can find show notes and links to some of the resources mentioned in the show at datadrivenrealestate.com. Click that join the community and you'll be forwarded to the Property Radar community where you can ask questions about the current show and even see upcoming guests and ask questions there. We'd love to engage with you in the community so check it out. Please don't forget to like, favorite, subscribe, and share on your favorite platform where you're listening to the show. It helps us out a great deal. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.